Welcome to episode five of the President's Club Sales Podcast. I'm Jason Mangold, and I'm joined once again by Jason Panici. How's it going, Jason? It's going great. Great. Uh, thanks again for uh, for joining me, as always. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we said before, you know, you can find us at www.presidentsclubsales.com. Uh, you can also connect us on Twitter. Uh, that's uh, P at P-R-E-S Club Sales. So that's Prez Club Sales. Uh, feel free to shoot us a message uh, with any topics you'd like covered. Uh, you can also uh, find me on LinkedIn under Jason Mangold or feel free to connect with Jason Peachy as well. Sounds great. So uh, I think last week we talked quite a bit about uh, some email prospecting and some, uh, some LinkedIn tips. Uh, and I think that was you know overall pretty good. Um, anything that you wanted to kind of add from last week, Jason, coming into this week? Uh, no, I mean, I think uh, we might get into it a little bit further on in the podcast, depending on which direction the conversation goes. But, um, you know, the LinkedIn piece is probably something that we should we should cover a little bit more about. Um, but, yeah, let's uh, let's see where this conversation takes us, and uh, maybe we'll get into some of that. Yeah, and I think today is going to be a pretty interesting conversation. So... Um, I think for a change, we might be on a topic that uh, Jason and I feel a little bit differently on. So um, just to give you a little bit of backstory, um, I was, you know, as we're talking about Twitter, I was on Twitter and it's it's not a, um, I guess, between friends and that sort of stuff. It's it's a known thing that I, um, I have a huge, a pretty bad habit of tweeting at baseball players <laughs> and following baseball players online. Um, through that... Yeah, borderline stalking. Borderline stalking, yes. I, um, I, you know, if I do another podcast, it would end up being a baseball podcast. So yeah, I, I do quite a bit of that on, online. Um, but yeah, you, if you just looked at my tweets from my my personal uh, Twitter page, you would think I was a twelve year old kid. So, so yeah, so it's pretty good. But anyway, I guess, there's, I guess there's worse things, but you know, yeah, that's right. We'll, 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 we'll let it slide. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I, I, I think I've I've had responses from players, and they were pretty shocked when they noticed I was a grown a grown adult on there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, anyways, so I was on there, and I, I found a kind of an interesting situation. So, uh, a player who will rename nameless, um, he, you know, he basically purchased. Uh, I think it was a set of chairs or something of that nature, right? It's a set of furniture. And yeah. he bought it like six months ago and still nothing had come. So, you know, you might call him a bully, whatever you want to say, but he uh, he tweeted directly at the, um, you know, the company that hadn't, uh, that hadn't delivered on the promise that, you know, the, the order that they placed. And, you know, at that point, once you have somebody that has, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, you would think, immediately the company would come through and do everything they can to kind of save face, right? So the uh, the company ended up just responding kind of a canned response, and it said, you know, please email us, email our customer service line, and, you know, we'll be sure to look into it for you. Uh, this the same response that would, you know, Jason and I would probably get all the time whenever we, we, we try to reach out to customer service teams. Well, he got that in front of you know hundreds of thousand followers, and that response wasn't uh, wasn't really up to everyone's snuff, right? Sure. So um, so he responded with something that said you know basically you know thanks for the canned response, 
And that's when everyone kind of just jumped on the train, right? And everyone started, you know, tweeting back at the player, started tweeting back at the uh, the company, and it was a PR nightmare in about an hour, right? And again, yeah. they came back with, you know, we're sorry, we just need to know what's going on. And in you know, my head being in at different companies for so long, really that person once they realized it was you know somebody that stature that it, it would not have been very hard for the person running the the twitter page and the company isn't that huge so i would imagine the person that's running the twitter page is not actually a social media company it's actually probably um somebody pretty connected it wouldn't have been that hard for that person to send an email to the customer service directly or send an email to a manager or whatever and said, hey, this person, you have their first and last name. We need to reach out and find out what's going on with this before you know this gets out to everybody, right? That wouldn't have taken that much trouble on their part to do it. But instead, they, they chose to send out a canned response, which... Uh, you know, obviously led to a whole bunch of backlash. And um, I, I still looked like this week, this happened about a week ago. I looked today and there's still people razzing on this, this furniture chain today. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's really taking a, uh, you know, molehill and or turning into a mountain. And so one of the things that this got me thinking about was the role that customer service plays in a, in a B2B environment. Uh, even I guess you can even say in a B2C environment, but what role does that play with hunters and, and sales professionals? What is the role of customer service? Um, you know, where does that really fit in? Because I think, you know, most of the time we think, you know, as a, you know, B2B or as a hunter a professional, we automatically default that, hey, my job is to go out, we get the, we get the, the person interested, close it, and then my hands are done, right? I'm hands off at that point. But when we're talking about very large, complex deals, those things could take eight to nine months to close a lot of times. I mean, even longer than that. And you have to realize that one little you know, image piece or one thing that, that goes wrong, that can have a, a lasting effect on whether or not that customer buys. And that's where I thought this conversation would be easy to, to open up is when I read some, when I saw this, this thing on Twitter, it blew my mind because I realized how much potential revenue this one little thing could affect this cus- this company. Um, and as a sales professional, that would drive me absolutely insane, right? So, um, I don't know. Yeah, I know well, you- as a business owner, it would drive you even more insane. Right, right. And, um, yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know. I, I know you, you were kind of on the, you know, a little bit on the other side of that, Jason. Do you want to, you know, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm curious. You know, I don't know... Um, if they have somebody sitting there all day long on a Twitter account responding to people or if that's, that's automated. I wonder if the company sets up those canned responses. Um, do you know anything about that? I don't know much about uh, that world and how they handle that uh, on Twitter or if you can even automate it that way. So that's kind of a funny thing, right? So if it is, they could actually, I think they could actually automate that. I don't know enough about you know the social media presence, but... It seemed yeah. like the responses, it wasn't like an immediate, hey, thank you for reaching out. It, it was a little bit more direct than that, and it was written differently every time they responded to them. So I don't think it was an automated thing. But that's kind of a funny thing okay. that, that you say it that way, right? Because how many times do we run into like marketing departments sending out a email, right, that has our name on it? Right. So you don't even know you've gone through your marketing department and they send out something that has, you know, it's sent directly from Jason Panici and you don't even know it's going to your client. And then that's the you know, that's something that either the person reaches back out to you or about or 
could be the thing that that upsets somebody, right? That you're in the buying cycle, yeah. you're about to sell something, and then an email goes out with a twenty percent discount, and your customer says, "Why the heck didn't you give me that twenty percent discount when I was talking to you?" Right? Is that does that happen to you quite a bit? Yeah, and, and I mean, I think the uh, amount of, of you know communication out there in today's world with the drip campaigns that marketing departments do, um, I think a lot of that stuff is, is just it's extremely automated, right? I don't think there's another person. It's a set it and forget it type situation. So I, I was wondering if, you know, Twitter had the capability of, of that type of, you know, technology where somebody could just set up their canned responses and then if they get an inquiry or a direct message, uh, it just gives them the appropriate canned response. Um, maybe somebody in our audience could, could chime in later after the episode and let us know if that's uh that's a possibility or not. The other thing to consider too is, you know, in today's world with, um, with artificial intelligence and all the bots that are out there, they, they literally could set up a bot. I'm not saying this is good or bad customer service. I think it's just new technology and it's yet to be determined whether or not it can actually be good or bad customer service, but it could actually just be, uh, an automated bot making responses to the individual. It's not actually a human being making the response. So, so that's something to take into consideration too. And a bot would have no idea what, what is or isn't good customer service, right? It just does what it's told to do. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're talking about, and this, I think this is really interesting, as, as we're talking about a B2B professional that's going through a very complex deal where we know that they're going to be touching multiple decision makers over nine months and there's all these all this technology and all these other resources that are going to be touching that as well, how do we as B2B professionals make sure that the customer, uh, that we are still seen professionally in the right light with the customer, even though that all these outside resources may be uh, at play that we have no control over? And there's a lot of them in today's world, right? I mean, you don't, as, as a sales professional uh, on the hunting side, you don't have control over what's going to be posted on any of the social media channels that the company is posting on, right? So, so you can't you can't necessarily know what's going to go out on your Facebook. You can't know what's going to go out on. I shouldn't say your. I should say the company's Facebook or the company's Twitter page. Um, you just you have no control over that. It's outside of your your reach. It's outside of the scope of what you're doing. Um, so a lot of that is just. Uh, it's a challenge, right? It's something that you're going to have to to uh, to work with the company on. It depends on the size of the company. Smaller companies, it's going to be easier to uh, to mitigate some of that and and make sure that the messaging is is on point. With larger companies, I mean, you don't even know who that individual is that's probably managing or sending that out. So it's you know going to be very difficult to uh, to to mitigate that risk if there is a risk and. You know, from, from this particular example, there definitely is a risk there, right? Because some, something like this could happen. Other prospects that you may be out hunting will see that, and that could definitely jeopardize future pipeline. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it was, and so I was running a sales team a few years ago, and this was one of the biggest complaints that I would get from um our reps, we just didn't have very good communication through our social media, our social media employees our marketing employees and the sales folks and this was uh in this role it was there was a lot of heavy cold calling and cold contacting and um 
and I think a lot of the marketing stuff that was going out was pretty spray and pray uh, from the yeah. marketing departments. And it was, and they did a lot of direct discounting and those sort of things inside of it. And, and I mean, it was literally every week I had to go back and calm down a customer because they had just purchased something from us and then they found a, a sale that we didn't even know was going to come out to anybody. Uh, you know, they get a voucher for a, you know, a cheaper sale or whatever, and they would have to come back and I'd have to, I'd have to do a lot of customer service on the back end to make sure that we retain that client for future business. Um, so, so I think that, you know, um, there's always a disparity between sales and marketing. I'm sure that, uh, everybody out there has experienced that, right? It's, it's never an easy relationship. Um, they're often one, one, the, the right hand's never aware of what the left hand's doing, right? So, so those things happen all the time. So, so does that, is that, if those cause customer service issues, but are those really a customer service issue? That to me, that's an internal communication issue, right? That's something that has to be smoothed out internally to make sure that sales and marketing are both on the same page and that they're communicating on a regular basis and that they both have clearly defined goals and they're, they're both going after those goals the same way and that that messaging is, is known by both departments before you know, anything is, is, uh, is sent out. So I think in a so, perfect world, I think, yeah, that's that's the exact conversation you have, right? You go in and you say, hey, we need to talk more. But, you know, as a individual contributor at a company that, you know, let's say you're at a company that has, you know, 500, 1,000 employees or even bigger, you're not, as an individual contributor, you're not going to be able to go back and say, hey, this is what's happening and someone is immediately going to get everybody together and and listen to you, Right. And it's, it's also not a case where if you, as an individual contributor, bring this up, you're not going to be able to go to your marketing team and say, hey, I, you know, you're not doing this right. <laughs> you know, listen to me. We, can, we need to make sure we're all on the page because there's egos. There's a lot of things that play into that. So one of the things I think we talk about a lot is controlling what you can control. And in situations like that, I think that that's where... You, you can't get into a, a game of, of blaming other people. You have to just kind of take it on uh, directly with your client um, and make sure that every day you're showing up with the best level of customer service and and showing the you know the best em- most empathy towards your client and, and taking ownership even if it wasn't your fault um, to make sure that you keep them happy for you know either residual business or uh, getting to the point where you were because I mean this could also happen where you propose something the deal's not through yet and then all of a sudden they get something that shows they they could spend ten thousand dollars less on this deal if they would have done it through the marketing department and then they're going to come back to your proposal even though you don't have them as a client yet and say you know what the heck you have to show that level of customer service put the onus on yourself uh, instead of blaming others and and uh, make sure you save the deal at least that that's kind of my thought behind it yeah, I mean, you know, again, I think you, you, you said it in a perfect world. Um, the marketing marketing message would never undermine what the hunters are doing, right? right. And, and that's what you want, right? You want a, a, a very uh, clear set messaging that doesn't undermine what your direct sales reps are trying to accomplish. So if they're, if they're sending out, you know, you know messaging that, that, you know, offers a 20% discount or a 30% discount and your direct sales team is unaware of, of that discount, well, that that completely undermines their their message and their efforts and it makes them look ignorant. Um, 
because you know you're you're going to get the prospect coming back and saying why am I not getting this thirty percent discount? And if the sales team didn't know about it, that just that just blows their credibility, right? right. So it's even worse if it so came from really, your email <laughs> and you didn't know about it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if it already if it goes out via email and, and nobody knew about it, and then you have people calling you, it just yeah, you just don't look credible anymore, and and you're. Your prospects now think you're, it's worse than, than that, right? They think you're trying to run a, a game on them and you're trying to get 30% more than, than what you should. And that goes back to, you know, the salesperson's image and what people think about salespeople. And and that can be very detrimental, right? I mean, it's it's hard enough as, as salespeople to, to generate a positive impression about what we are and what we do. And um, when those things happen, People, people's gut reaction is to blame the salesperson and think that the salesperson is trying to take advantage of the situation. Yeah, it makes sense. Not, not saying that's right, but that's what happens, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, as we, we come back to kind of our main topics, I think those are all pieces of, of kind of what we're talking about with customer service. Where do you think... You know, where do you, from your your standpoint, where do you feel the salesperson's role, and where where how do you think they play um, into the customer service role? How do you think a B two B sales professional or a hunter that sort of stuff? Where do you think their level of customer service needs to be on a daily basis? Yeah, so the um, the area where I think we probably we disagree a little bit is where it breaks out in terms of is this individual a hunter exclusively or is it uh, somebody who's you know doing both hunting and account managing so um, from an from an account you know management and a hunting standpoint so if you're doing both if you're leading everything through you know prospect all the way to close and the sales process and then after the sale you're managing that account um I think you know the ongoing customer service piece for new business with that with that customer is going to be huge where, where I like to, to delineate though is you know up front if you're a hunter is that really customer service I mean you're obviously providing a service to a prospect but they're not necessarily a customer yet and there's a high likely chance a high likelihood that they won't be a customer um, you know, we all know that the best closers are getting a 25 to a 30% closing ratio. So re- regardless, you know, 70% of those are going to fall out of your pipeline. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder if that's your sales skills up front versus your customer service skills when you're out hunting, uh, especially if you're passing it off to an account manager or a customer success manager after the fact, whose job is, is to, to provide that customer service and to provide, you know, that uh, that upsell and to take care of the customer after the sale to allow the hunter to continue to go out and hunt. So, you know, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, and I, I guess that, that comes back to, and I think we can even go into a, a deeper conversation about how those roles intertwine with the, the sales professional. In my, you know, in my experience, I guess I've had it most of the ways that we've talked about. My experience um, is I've been in, a majority of the roles that I've been in, um, an individual contributors portion, I would be hunting new business. When I found the new business, I would then own that account to some level, right? And when I say own right. that account, it would be 
mainly to go back and and work other departments within the company, right? Because usually when you're, you know, a lot of the roles that, that we've worked in are more of the enterprise level sale. Well, you can, you know, I, I can sell most of the products or services that I've used to 20 different departments inside of that same company, right? So then I start going, um, you know, I, I start going by department and, and working internally on that side of things. So, but I, I think that that's where I feel that the role of customer service comes in, because if I make sure you know, if I did close a deal with, you know, Jim in accounting, <laughs> I, I closed a deal with Jim in accounting and I just kind of let him, you know, go out there and then there's an issue or, you know, he does get an email that has a, a lower discount. What's Jim going to do? Jim's going to call Carly and IT and tell Carly that, you know, you shouldn't do business with Jason because he's, you know, a lying jerk, right? So I think that that's where that piece of, you know, making sure that you're, you're always having exceptional customer service and and not allowing it. See, I, I feel pretty strongly that if you, you can, if you can not allow, I think there, there's importance to have account managers and all that sort of stuff in, inside of it. But I, I would I would want, if it was an account that I owned, I would want to know what's going on so that if there is a, a major issue, I want the client to come to me and then I feed them out to that account manager or I feed them out to the appropriate department to help them so that they're not going in blindly or they're, you know, at least I know what's going on. So when I talk to Carly in, in IT, I can say, hey, Carly, I know this happened with, with Jim in accounting, but this is what we're doing to fix it. I'm on top of it. Here's the nice thing. You know, if you continue to do business with us, you're going to have, you know, me as your, your kind of main source. I'm going to keep helping you through the process. And, and then that shows a lot more value because I, I what's incredibly frustrating to clients is when they purchase something from somebody, uh, and it's it's, an, it's incredibly frustrating for all of us when you purchase something from somebody, and something happens, something goes wrong, and that person that seemed like your best friend at the beginning of it and worked with you through the whole process, all of a sudden is nowhere to be found when the issue comes up. So even if I, because most of the time I'm not going to be the one that will fix the issue, but I still want to be involved because then I can be seen as the savior. Uh, and sometimes it even works out well where they know it's it's not something I'm doing, but they appreciate how much that I'm I'm trying to help them. That I get referrals even in situations where we failed. Right? Uh, I've I've made a I, I've had a lot of success in my career by taking very bad situations that have happened at companies, negative experiences, and turning those clients from those negative experiences into very, very good clients and, and some of the best clients that I've had year over year doing business with me. And I would not have had the, the, the I would not have had the level of communication and the, you know, the network that I have if those bad things hadn't happened up front and I hadn't given them exceptional customer service uh, on the back end. So that's where I think it, it falls in. And I've had a lot of success personally with that. Uh, but, you know, I don't think that in general in the B2B world, I think that mentality is more of a, um, I'm in the minority with that mentality. I think a lot of people see it as, you know, hunt, 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 find someone, close it, put them onto account managers, let's go find the next one, right? And that, and I understand why you would do that because, you know, the potential for some really big, you know, dollar amounts there. But I, I've seen some, I've made some really big deals off the relationships with people because I've been able to build a very, very high level of trust with those clients. Yeah, no, and on that we we agree. So if your if your job 
is to, to manage the whole process and, and once you've closed it to, to manage the account after the fact and, and all of that what you said makes sense uh, 100% I think what, what you just touched on though the latter part of that as where it's hot 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 close it hand it off to the account manager and then go find the next go find the next deal I think that mentality presents itself because companies at least a lot of companies that I've worked for in the technology space they set it up to be that way. Um, you know, I, I've had a, a bit of a different experience in, in that than you have. So um, from my experience, you know, when, when I've taken on hunting roles through, through uh, you know, larger technology companies, there's no compensation for the hunter after the close. Mm-hmm. So they, they actually put compensation plans together where it's just, you know, it's only advantageous for the hunter to close that first deal, get that first initial contract signed, and then hand it off to the account manager. Everything after that, after they've become a, an existing logo customer with the client, there's no more compensation for the hunter. There's no more commission. So, so then the hunter obviously has no more incentive to really manage that business, right? Their only incentive is to go out and find new business, which that's really what the company wants, right? The companies want the hunters hunting. They don't want them bogged down with, you know, post uh, sale management activity around the account, whether that's customer service or upselling or whatever it may be. They don't want them bogged down with those day-to-day tasks. They want them out there banging down doors trying to find new business. And then they incent the account managers on the other end to take care of that business to make sure that the customer is satisfied that they remain a customer for a very long time. So I think, you know, we've just had different experiences. I, I don't know, you know, which to say is right or wrong. I, I don't know if there is such a thing. I think both structures have their merits. Um, so it just depends, I think, on what your goals are, right? I, I, if, you're, if you're really trying to push the hunting and all you want is them focused on, on you know, finding that next new logo, then I think that that model probably is the best model, right? But if you're looking to have more of a, um, a smaller account base and uh, you want them to manage that account base post-sale and it's not a hyper type of a growth situation, then I think the, uh, the, you know, the, the salesperson getting both the new logo and then managing the account post-sale are probably fine. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the... You know, it's interesting when you talk about, you know, just hunt, 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 close the deal. So when, you, when you're talking in that situation, how long is that process when somebody's hunting out, then they close the deal, they pass it off? How long is that sales cycle typically that, that you've, you know, you've experienced with that, with that kind of deal? Yeah, so it, it, it varies. Um, you know, in some companies, it, it was pretty short, I would say 60 days. Um, and then in other companies, it was much longer, I would say, you know, upwards of probably six to eight months. So if you've done, you've worked with somebody for six to eight months, how many contacts are you doing with that, um, you know, that business owner or, you know, whatever they are, that, that the, the vertical you're working? Probably you're having, uh, so you have the first initial prospecting effort you know, however many contacts that takes to actually get in the door. And then once you're in the door, you probably have probably between three and four uh, face-to-face meetings, probably with more people than just the original prospect. 
because they usually invite in, you know, their directors or other other departments to come in and sit in on the call or the meeting to uh, to get a better understanding of what's going on. So you probably have three or four face-to-face meetings with the actual prospect or the, the account, and then there's probably some in-between touches as well via phone or email, I would, I would assume, right? So my guess is all in, you're probably somewhere between 25 and 30 touches or more. So you do 25 or 30 touches with somebody, and then you finally sell them on your product or service, and something goes wrong with that product or service. Who do you think they're right. going to feel safe contacting? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, it's important to, to point this out. I, yeah. I, uh, I definitely see where you're going. Um, so one of those touches, it, it always has to be, if you're going to take that, that approach. So, like, the last meeting you have with the client is generally a kickoff meeting. And, and with that kickoff meeting, you're bringing in the account manager. Um, and, you know, you're, you're inter- making that introduction that, that this is your account manager you know, here's what his responsibilities are. Here's what he's going to help you with. Here's his contact information. So you're getting that that individual uh, involved in that that prospecting effort, so that they know that that handoff is going to occur, and they're familiar with that individual, and they probably are already doing some soft touches or soft work with that person before the actual install or or integration or whatever it may be actually happens. So, so you're, you're making that transition pretty smooth and pretty easy. But, but to your point, where some reps fall short is they don't make that introduction and they don't do that well. Right. And that creates a huge, huge customer service issue because they're absolutely going to reach out to you. They're, they're going to only know you if you didn't make that introduction well. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and that's going to cause an issue because you're going to be out hunting. You're not going to be able to address the issue very fast most account managers are inside, right? They're, they're not going anywhere. They're there to address those specific issues quickly as where, you know, a hunter is usually out in the field. So it's, it's more of a challenge for them. Um, so I think it's paramount that, that that introduction is done well, that that expectation is set correctly. So here's the question. Let's say that, and it's just interesting because I've, I've, I've actually worked with this model myself as well. Um, so what happens, and this is what I, you know, always happened to me, so that account manager is usually more of a junior salesperson. Would I be correct in, in assuming that? Um, so customers, or excuse me, not customers, um, clients, um, well, let me, let me back up on that. So employers started off that way. They would usually put an account manager or a customer service representative in a more a more junior person in that role. They've since, they've strayed away from that. Right. So now it's actually, the, it's actually the opposite. You usually have guys that are gr- or girls that have been in the field, have done the hunting role, and have really, really solid sales experience with that company, usually five years or more, before they transition into an account management role. I think companies realize pretty quickly that, hey, you know, once you get a customer, you, you, it, it is really imperative that you hold on to that customer, right? Because we all know it costs so much more to go out and get a new customer than it does to sell to existing customers. And they had a lot of junior people handling the, the installed base of, uh, of accounts, and they were noticing a high amount of churn. Well, you know, that's never going to work, right? You need ex- 
experienced, well-trained sales and customer service experts managing those installed accounts. Um, otherwise, your, your, your churn is going to be going to be bad. Right. And that, I mean, that's what I would run into a lot of times because I think I was working with a lot more junior salespeople in the account management role. Um, and then we had, you know, their leaders were that were managing kind of that inside sales team, account manager team had 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 that kind of the same experience that you're talking about. But what happened is, um, you know, Carly, like I was saying from IT or whatever, um, would try to after I'd handed off the deal, would try to call, would try to contact the junior salesperson or you know SDR, whatever you want to call it, um, or CSR, mm-hmm. I should say, would try to contact them. You know they wouldn't be getting back to them. You know whatever would happen, they couldn't reach the person. You know, and then all of a sudden they would start coming back to me, and then it's hey Jason, you told me we we're going to have this great account manager that was personally going to be taking care of me. I can't find them. I need this taken care of. Can you handle it? Right. And that's where it always became, you know, I would, I would allow that to a point uh, or I would try to get other people involved, but that's where I eventually started transitioning a little bit more to being uh, more involved in those conversations at times because I, you know, I would run into that. So what, you know, I'm sure you've gone through that even with very experienced account managers. How do you handle a customer that you've worked with through the entire process that comes back to you and says, I can't get a hold of my account manager or, uh, and that could be other departments too. I can't get a hold of somebody on your social media team. How do you handle that in a hunter role? So I think you have to be pretty cautious and pretty careful. Um, I think you definitely have to take care of the customer first and foremost. That's always going to be the case, right? The customer is going to come first. Got to make sure they're taken care of. So even if I'm not making any money, I'm sorry. Even if I'm not going to make any money on it? Yeah, I think you, you have to do it, right? I mean, if the customer's reaching out to you and and they're saying, hey, you know, I've tried to call my account manager. I left he or she a voicemail. Haven't heard back. It's been over 24 hours. Can, can you find out, you know, I need this taken care of. I think you have to you have to address the issue, right? You have to take it seriously and, uh, and, and make sure that the customer gets, gets taken care of. So, you know, I, the way I would approach that is, 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 you know, let me find out what's going on with the account manager and let me get a hold of them and I'll, I'll get back with you, Mr. Customer, right, um, and let you know what the situation is and we'll get this resolved. Um, and then, you know, call the account manager, deal with the account manager, find out what the situation is, get the situation resolved first, right? Find out what that, you know, what that is and get that resolved first. Make sure the customer is, is out of the picture and they're, they're comfortable. And then after that, I think what needs to happen is there needs to be some sort of dialogue internally as to where the, where the communication breakdown is occurring and how that can be fixed. Because, you know, if, if too much of that happens, the hunter is not going to be able to do their job effectively. And, and then he or she is going to have problems with their manager because their manager is going to be saying, well, what are you doing? Why aren't you bringing in the business? You know, where's the new logos? Where's the pipeline? And, of course, the hunter is going to be saying, well, I, I keep getting 20 or 30 customer service calls a day, and I don't have time and the bandwidth to deal with both. And then, of course, you know what the manager is going to say, well, that's not your job. Why are you doing that? Right. And then that goes back to that mentality in the B2B world that you mentioned is, you know, hunters always kind of have that mentality of that's not my job. 
And, and they actually usually get that because they're told that that's not their job. And, and then they become, it puts them in a, in a position where they become unwilling to take those calls and to deal with those issues because they feel like they're just going to get in trouble for doing it and that their sales are going to suffer. Um, but, but that's, you know, that's a whole other conversation, right? I mean, it can snowball and get to there if you let it. But if you address it and you actually sit down and have an open dialogue with the account manager, and preferably with their direct report as well, to make sure that this doesn't continue to happen in the future, I think that that can alleviate those issues. But I, I think that, it, you know, it does have to be addressed. But if it gets out of hand, it, it has to be escalated. Yeah. I've seen, you know, my experience with most companies has been that, you know, the reason people go into, you know, deep hunt, hunting complex sales roles is you you hunt with the idea that you're you're trying to build an account base and that account base I I would I would send a individual deal. So if I again if I sold, you know, Larry in accounting or whatever the heck name I used earlier in accounting um I think it was Jim. Jim. I think it was Jim. I remember it now. I've always been a little bad with names. I shouldn't do that as a sales guy, right? Um, but yeah, Jim in accounting, that piece, that part would go to an account manager, right? So Jim would then be serviced by whatever the product or service I'm working with. They would have a team that would help them. But I would still own that account and, and like I said, go into other pieces of it. Um, and that's where really my experience, and I think that's where a lot of, I feel a lot of companies and a lot of hunters um you know, make their name is because they're hunting in to get into a larger account and then penetrating that account deeper, right? Um, and I think that's where my my thought process of there's just so many of these little things that can go wrong throughout the process that we have as salespeople, we may have no knowledge of, we have no control over. And it's, I think there's a huge skill that is is not talked about a lot with people that are able to, um, uh, not let those other things affect them and only control the things that they control. I recently read an article, um, it was actually a LinkedIn conversation where they were talking about basically two identical um, sales reps and they're doing the same call metrics, they're having the same amount of meetings, they're, they're doing all these things on paper that make the two salespeople look identical, right? And I've had that case, and I think we all have as leaders, where we've had those those sales individuals on our floor where everything on paper looks the same, but when you talk about revenue output, it's completely different. And one of the things that I've noticed through coaching, role-playing, and just getting into the dirt with the people, um, what it really comes, what I've noticed a lot, it comes down to a couple things is A, their control of the back end of the sales process, right? Their ability to close and um, you know grow the deal, all that sort of stuff on the back end but what it comes down to i've seen a lot is the relationship they have with their clients and like i said i think that relationship grows extremely deep through customer service issues and and just taking exceptional care of of your client and not defaulting into it's not my job i need to get somebody else or that that's not what i do even if it's not what you do just kind of seeming like you're a part of it right and that you're in a partnership I've seen a huge, uh, drastic difference with people on my sales floor or whatever that come in with that mentality. And that's one of the things that I've seen through through conversations that is a core trait of a lot of very successful top-end salespeople. 
Yeah, so, I mean, one thing that I would definitely differentiate there is, is are you talking enterprise sales or are we talking, you know, um, mid-market or small business sales? It's definitely important in a business-to-business environment to understand what you're after. Um, and I think companies make a mistake here sometimes. They hire the wrong people for the wrong roles. I'm, I'm sure you've seen that as much as I've seen that. Um, you know, they hire somebody who's a hunter, um, but really they're looking for an enterprise account executive or vice versa, right? Right. Um, and that, and that, those those roles are really different. They're not the same type of role. You know, if you're looking for somebody to, to, to have a, you know, a targeted list of, say, 30 to 50 large accounts, right, where there are thousands of employees and you want them to penetrate that deep and wide and carry that re- existing relationship forward, that is that is obviously enterprise selling. Um, and that really isn't a hunter role. I mean, while you right. are hunting and, and, and having that experience is necessary to do the job, it's not the same job as somebody who's out trying to land small business or mid-market business. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of the small business and the mid-market business, depending on, you know, how you, you rate those companies, you know, by number of employees, there's not a lot of, of, uh, of cross-selling or um, deep and wide selling to be done after the initial contract is signed. Again, depending on what you're selling and, and how you're breaking those out, I mean, it's usually different. But I, I would say, you know, small business is usually anything from 10 employees up to probably 200 employees. And then, you know, mid-sized business is anything 201 employees up to probably maybe a thousand depending on who you're talking to everybody's probably going to have some different numbers there um but you know the mid-market small small market hunters they don't really there's really not much for them as much for them to do post-sale that's because where there is you know the, the enterprise rep there's a lot for them to do post-sale they've only made one sale right that's only one person in one department there could be 20 other departments that need to buy their service and I think that gets lost a lot of times when we see, when you see job postings right now that are more in the like higher, you know, higher paying job postings for individual uh, reps or individual contributors, I should say. A lot of them, the first thing almost all of them say is a hunter, right? We want a hunter mentality, somebody that's able to drive in, hunt, 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 hunt. That's what it says on there, right? But yeah, that's not sure. really I see them all the time, right? Exactly. Those, that's not really what they mean, right? It's, it's kind of to your point that being good at hunting is definitely the right it's, – it's good, but where you're going to, to really make money and become really successful and start really cracking into B2B and enterprise-level sales is knowing how to handle the whole, the whole cycle, right? Going from hunting into actually closing the deal, being there, and, and being part of the conversation and the, the consultative sell um, – once you get into the hunting because i've seen it way too many times i mean anybody can dial a phone 100 times or send 500 emails anybody can do things like that and call themselves a hunter but the people that are going to make a lot of money and be successful in sales is knowing how to anytime someone immediately responds to them knowing where to take that conversation and i think that gets lost too much where people are um you know they they call themselves hey i'm a hunter i can go hunt that's great but that doesn't really mean anything in a more complex sales cycle 
uh, if you don't know what to do once you get somebody on the line, you know, once you once you have a kill, right, <laughs> or once you've actually got somebody uh, hunted, if you can't do anything with yeah. it, it doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, I think another thing that happens a lot is companies will start off, um, you know, I think some software companies are notorious for this, you know, especially in the SaaS world, where they will start out and they'll, They'll either think that, okay, we're, we're attacking the small business market exclusively, and then, you know, a hunter role would probably be the correct person to go towards, or they start off and they're targeting enterprise only, and they only try to get hunters for that. They, and they don't really understand where their product fits in in the market, right? They don't have that clear customer profile to know who it is that they're really going after. This, the really, really good software companies or the really, really good technology companies, that's the piece that they nail really, really well, right? They they have a, a very well-thought-out customer profile. They have a very well-thought-out niche that they're targeting. They know exactly why they're reaching out and, and contacting the people that they're reaching out to. So they, they send their hunters out in a way that just makes a lot of sense because all of that has already been planned out and thought out, and they know exactly who to target who to go after companies where they where they really miss it is they just don't have that information and they really don't they don't pinpoint who it is they need to hire we end up getting the wrong people in the wrong roles and often what happens there is is they don't succeed and for whatever reason you know they're either let go or they're moved into a different role or whatever may happen there um and the company decides that they need to start over and try something different so then they 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 start going out and they start looking for more hunters and they try to restructure themselves and go after a different target market. And that's why you see all those hunter roles constantly out there, right? They're just not nonstop. They're all looking for hunters. So, you know, I think a lot of that, that, that happens in, in the B2B space. Not that it happens too much in the B2C space, but, um, you know, I guess it could, uh, I prob- probably, uh, not, not the same thing though. Yeah, absolutely. Whether, um, I, I mean, I think this is, I think we've, we've had a pretty good conversation here around customer service. And I think there's, I think we could both agree there's, depending on what, you know, level of role and what you're doing, there's, there's definitely a piece of customer service. Um, what, you know, what are some of the things that you have seen um, when we talk about, you know, what I was talking about a second ago, um, where you have your, your two different reps, right? You have those, the, the person that's 2X, uh, the other rep that has the same kind of, you know, like I said, doing all the hunting pieces, right? They're doing all the, the metrics that they're told. If they do this, they're going to go through the funnel. What are some of those those things that aren't, you know, that you, they're not tangible, right? Or they're not tangible that we're not typically measuring reps. What are some of the things that you've noticed um, can can really make the difference when, when, when going between the two? So you're saying uh, what's the difference between... I just want to clarify the question. What's the difference between um, a hunter and their, their, their intangibles and what they possess compared to somebody who would be an account manager? No. So going back to the, the idea of you have two, you know, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm building off a little bit off topic with this, but just kind of as a closing thing, I wanted to give a couple, couple little tips with this. You've got two, sure, no, you know, you've got two sales, you know, sales professionals on your floor as a manager and you've got, mm-hmm. um, you got one, they're doing the exact same thing. They're making the same amount of, fo- however the prospecting is, same amount of phone calls, same amount of emails. They're going on the same amount of meetings, but 
the end of the month, you're seeing a, or a quarter or whatever the quota cycle goes through. You're, you're seeing, you know, Joe is getting destroyed by Sarah and Sarah's doing, um, they're doing all the exact same things, but Sarah's producing 2x revenue to, to Joe. Um, you know, what are some of those intangible things that you're not going to be fight you, you don't find through CRM or through dashboard reporting? What are some of the things that you've noticed? Like I said, I, I think customer service and um, the the ability to take ownership and the relationship with the client are some of the intangibles that I've I've really seen that are, are not things that get picked up through dashboarding that I would really recommend people. That, that's why I brought up this topic today. Is, is I think that's yeah. that's something that comes up. Are there any things that you you've kind of seen when you've you've done that dive in? Passion, um, people who are passionate about what they're doing and about their about their role, and passionate about the product. Um, you can hear it, right? I mean, if you if you're listening to their to their sales calls and uh, and or going out with them on meetings, um, you, you you can see it right away. You can see the people who genuinely enjoy what it is they're doing and that that comes across amazingly to uh to, to your potential customers or your existing customers i mean they they pick up on that um and if you if you you know see reps that are hitting the same number of metrics you need to look at you know you need to look at what they're doing on their calls are they enthusiastic are they are they showing the same level of, of enthusiasm is is the passion there right is the person really enjoying what they're doing um i think that's probably the, the biggest intangible that, that i've noticed i think some of the other things that you know are you you, you touched on customer service is obviously there, but if people are if people genuinely enjoy what they're doing and they're passionate about it i think customer service is just a it's just a, a byproduct of that exactly and you got to believe in what you're selling right i think too many people get into hey i'm just doing this because i can make a whole bunch of money or or whatever right you see uh you see you're willing to sell a product and service that you don't believe in or you don't understand sometimes even and i i think in order to be really successful you have to believe in what you're selling believe in the company you're selling for uh and also understand what your product actually does Uh, i cannot tell you how many in-depth conversations I've had with sales professionals, even when I'm, you know, as a leader, when I was buying solutions, when you start deviating from the kind of the norm conversation and start talking about the, you know, really what their product is doing, they have no idea, right? I mean, I'm not even talking about it in a technical sense. It's just really, you know, what what the product does, it's just not known. And that's another thing, you know, make sure you understand what your product does that you're selling. And I said, it seems really simple, but I don't, I, I don't think a lot of, um, even high end salespeople actually know that sometimes. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if it's as simple as it used to be, you know, as, as solutions grow more and more complex, it's, it's definitely harder than it used to be. But one thing I would, uh, I would say is, um, you know, it's uh, it is important to know your product, and it is important to know what that product solves. But you really have to be able to speak to it in a in a business sense, right? And understand, yep. you know, w- what is the business drive and the business need that 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 product is solving. Um, without that piece, you know, it's going to be very hard for you to sell. Um, the other thing that I would I would mention, I heard this from uh, one of those other uh, sales training gurus that are out there in the market you will it's an interesting quote right you will only sell 
to the degree of which you are sold. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like that. So I think you have to really believe in what it is you're selling, right? And if you're not sold on it, if you don't believe it, if you don't buy it, <laughs> good luck, right? I don't think, I don't think you know, other people are going to buy into it. No, yeah, it's it's that's awesome. You can tell that too. Like, you know, how many times do you get, you know, this is maybe consumer based, but it's it's also relevant, I think, in some B two B when you're selling direct products. How many times do you get stuff in the you know emails that say, hey, you're getting a discount or it's a a sale or whatever it is? But when a salesperson calls you and they actually believe that the discount or the sale that they're getting is obscene. Um, that goes through so much better to the client. Um, and that's, that's when I know it's really time to buy. I mean, I understand a lot of times a, you know, B2B sales professionals will say, oh my God, this is the best deal ever. You need to buy from us. But there, you can tell a big difference when somebody's just kind of making that up or when they actually believe it. And the energy after, you know, let's say even I talked to my sales team and I gave them a, a big promotion we're doing for a month or a quarter, the way they would go out and bring that out to the, um, you know, to the world was with a complete different energy than when we did our kind of canned discounting or whatever it was before, right? And it's again, it's kind of what you know what happened. I sold them on how great this deal is, <laughs> so now they're going out and selling other people, right? Yeah, no, yeah, and I, you know, like I have my my back and forth on on the canned discounting in the B two B world. I hate it to be um, honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> I no, hate I, it. I but we agree there that it's terrible. Yeah, it's not it's not a good approach. I think a lot of you know marketing companies do it out of desperation um, from direction of, of ownership when they're trying to increase sales, and it's it's just a it's just a bad strategy all around. You're just devaluing your product. You're setting a precedent that you know those, especially if you do it regularly, right? I mean, you're setting a precedent that they should wait to buy from you when the discounts are there. Yeah, but the problem is, is that marketing needs to be shown as a revenue generating uh, position, right? And that's where they they create it so much to show marketing, or you know, we they're also I, I used to work with a company that had a you know web team. They they took care of cart transactions, even though we were selling a kind of a big product. There were still there was never cart transactions, but they tried to make the re cart transactions through uh, discounting and stuff. And it's just trying to show. Um, you're trying to create roles that really aren't directly revenue generating. You're trying to show revenue, even though that really their value is a little bit more intris- in, uh, is, is a little bit different than that, right? Yeah, and, and I mean that you know, showing value by devaluing what you're selling is, is probably not a smart thing to do. Right. Um, you know, I just uh, I don't see that as being very strategic. You know, for for long term growth. I mean, you're just sacrificing your margin for short-term gain. Um, and, you know, that's, I mean, that's the stuff that sales reps get chastised about all the time, right? I mean, if you if you put that on the other side and you have a sales rep going out there trying to sell on price, I mean, what's the first thing the sales management is going to say to them, right? Don't sell on price. Yeah. Or why? Um, why are you selling and, a price, right? Why, why yeah, did we have to do this why, discounting? Right? Why, why, are, why are we discounting? Why are we giving them this? Why are we selling on price? So you're, you're always taught as a sales professional never to lead with that, never to go out with that type of an approach. But then, you know, if you have a sales, or excuse me, if you have a marketing department who's who's taking that effort to, to try to sell the product, then, yeah, it cre- again, it creates a disconnect, right? You, your, your marketing department is taking one approach, your sales department is taking another approach, 
there's obviously a, a, a gap there that needs to be that needs to be filled up. But every company does it, right? And it's it's again, it's our internal, our our own internal processes create some of the weirdest situations and and things out to our company, our, our clients. And I've seen it. I've seen it in some of the best companies I've worked for, the worst companies. I've seen it in huge companies, small companies. We just our internal processes create so many barriers for clients and um you know as i say i think that's a very it's a skill that very successful salespeople figure out is how to maneuver around that and and again control what they control what they can control yeah no i i agree a lot of companies do do it although i have you know in the past uh, few years run into companies that have stopped and they're not doing it anymore and i think that's hopefully that's a trend that's going to continue because i think I think once sales reps get, you know, the message that the price is what the price is, right? There's no, there's no, um, negotiating that. There's no ifs, ands, buts, right? We can, we can maybe negotiate some other things. Like we can negotiate terms or we could negotiate, you know, um, whatever, you know, um, the case may be, right? Additional add-ons or something of that nature, but the price is what the price is. Um, I think it, it gives it gives the salespeople the message that it doesn't make sense to even lead with that or have that conversation. It, it makes sense to try to sell the value and to focus on getting better at, at selling value and talking about ROI and talking about you know business drivers and the, resu- the current results they're getting compared to the results they're going to get with your product or solution. Um, those are the things that good salespeople are, are focusing on, and those are generally the things that drive a much higher margin, and and that's what business owners want, right? So they're trying to they're trying to reward that behavior. Um, but you know, look. That being said, there's still thousands of companies, if not you know more, that are that are doing it as we speak today. So um, you know, the price driven sale has certainly not gone away, right? And I think um, I don't want to deviate too much here. And I think it's uh, I think it's kind of a good idea for us to wrap up on this this piece. But I think that I think that's another conversation that we need to have later is is talking about how to handle that that price objection. And and I think that's something we can we can probably discuss next week, right? Overcoming that and and how to you know show more value. And and we can get into all of that. I think I think next week. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I think we had a pretty good conversation around the, the need of, you know, customer service, how it, how it intertwines. And, um, I think it's, like I said, I think it's something that you're always going to deal with in a B2B environment, whether it's at the beginning of the sale, after the sale, what, it just depends on your role. Right. Um, but I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's a great conversation and I, uh, I appreciate it as always, Jason. I, I think we've, uh, I think we've had some really good conversations, and I'm, I don't think we were too uh, too far off and, and, and too angry with each other as, as we disagreed a little bit on the the topic. No, not at all. Yeah, so that's good. But I think at the end, you know, we kind of we're kind of seeing a lot of the same things and and kind of on the same page. So um, I agree. So yeah, so I just wanted to thank everybody again for uh, joining us uh, here at the Presidents Club Sales Podcast. As I said before, you can find us uh, on the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter. That's at Prez Club Sales, P-R-E-S Club Sales. Uh, feel free to you know follow us. I'll probably follow you back. Uh, you know we need to definitely trying to get the uh, the numbers up on there. So I'd appreciate if uh, anybody would reach out there as well as you can find us at PresidentsClubSales.com. 
Uh, and with that, uh, we'll thank you guys for joining us, and we'll uh, talk to you talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Jason. Take care. Yep.